Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I am Brian Brooks, and um, for those of you who do know me, you know that I appreciate both the gravity and uh, just the opportunity to, to preach. As I've said before, there's nothing... You, I asked you if there was anything else I needed to do. <laughs> How about that? There we go. Well, that won't be the last technical difficulty I'm sure we have today, and I'll explain that in a minute. But again, I appreciate the opportunity to preach because nothing gets you into the gospel more than having to prepare a sermon. And I would encourage anybody to, not that you have to stand up and give one, but to act like you have to give a sermon sometimes when you approach the gospel. God has always been very faithful when I, when I have been asked to preach to provide me with a, a word, uh, and he's done that again, and he has always always provided a word that I need. So again, as I always preface this, I am as preaching to myself as much as I am preaching to you this morning. Um, this, I got two things I, right at the beginning I need to clarify. One, if you were here last week, you heard Eric talk about the fact that we, had, we are almost to the end of Romans and we were down to our last two sermons. The one he was preaching that last Sunday, and if you came here today thinking you were hearing the last one, I'm sorry to disappoint you, you're not. Come back next week, and you'll hear the final sermon of, of Romans in our, uh, the series that we've been doing. I've got, uh, Eric allowed me to do something different, and God has given me a word. The second thing is, for those that know, who know me really well, you know I'm a last-minute last person. And I really tried my best um, today to get my sermon in line so that I could provide uh, scripture to Lori, who's subbing for Gary today, and she'll... From now on, she's always going to ask who's preaching before she agrees to substitute. <laughs> I tried to provide her uh, scripture verses that I was going to be using. And of course, uh, I was rewriting my sermon up until the morning I left home this, this morning, the hour I left home. And so um, you're going to see some of the scripture I quote is going to be on the slides, some of it not. None of this will be Lori's fault. <laughs> None of it. So don't, if, if you don't see a scripture up there or you see a scripture up there that doesn't match, it is not Lori's fault, it is mine. So don't turn around and stare at her <laughs> as if she's done something wrong. Um, so, but some of the scripture I'll be quoting, we will have slides for, some we will not. So, um, a few weeks ago, uh, just prior to when Eric asked me to preach, the small group that I'm involved in went to see the movie Paul, an Apostle for Christ. If you have the opportunity to see the movie, I'd encourage you to do so. Um, but be forewarned. It gives you a very clear picture of how the early Christians, especially those in Rome, were persecuted. Some of it's a little unsettling, uh, but I think very accurate in how it's depicted. And in that movie, Paul mentions a letter that he's sending to Timothy. And I was, as I sat there and heard that, I thought... I want, to go back, I want to go back and read that letter. Well, of course, after I left the theater, I'd forgotten about that until Eric had asked me to preach. And I thought, oh, well, let me read 2 Timothy and see what I get. <laughs> wow, what did I get? Um, the word the God clearly showed me this is what he wanted me to preach on. And um, this chunk of scripture uh, seemed like a lot uh, to bite off and to do in one sermon. And as I was working through it, I kept thinking that, that this is a lot, but I felt like God was pushing me to do all these 14 verses. I didn't know today was Pentecost Sunday. 
I see why God pushed me to do all 14 verses because we're going to talk about the Spirit this morning, which I would not have done in the detail that I think I'm going to, um, but for that. So God is great <laughs> in how he works, and it's amazing. Um, so a little bit about this, this letter, if you don't know much about 2 Timothy. Um, Paul wrote this letter um, while he's in prison in Rome, in dungeon, in chains. And it really is sort of the last words of Paul. It's the last letter I believe he writes. Um, so you kind of look at these as Paul's last will and testament. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in detail. But this 2 Timothy, along with 1 Timothy and Titus, are known as the pastoral letters because they, they give instructions to Timothy and Titus um, concerning pastoral care of the churches they were in charge of. And although this is a, a letter directed to Timothy, and Eric mentioned this last week about understanding who letters are written to and why they're written. This is a direct letter to Timothy, but there are great general truths that we can take from what Paul is telling Timothy and apply them to our own lives. And there's also, it's pretty clear that, Tim, that Paul expected this letter to be read out at the church as well. So Paul knew when he wrote this letter that the end was near. 2 Timothy uh, 4, 6 through 7. And that's another thing I need to say. If I seem to, to um, stress scripture readings, that's Lori's cue to which one to bring up. Uh, so 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 7. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul knows that the end of his um, ministry for Christ is near. And so he writes this letter to impart some final wisdom. And although he did want to see Timothy again, twice in the letter, Paul asks him to come to him soon. Paul had a deep and uh, affectionate regard for Timothy. In his first letter to Timothy, he addresses him as my true son in the faith. Paul opens his second letter with, to Timothy, my dear son. And in Philippians, in referring to Timothy, Paul says, I have no one else like him. Clearly, Paul felt um, strongly about Timothy. Now, what we know about Timothy comes primarily from the book of Acts. We know that his mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. And that he was probably converted uh, to Christianity under Paul's ministry during uh, his first visit to Lystra on his first missionary journey. And there was good testimony from the brethren in his hometown about Timothy. So much so that it impressed Paul that he took Timothy with him on his um, missionary, second missionary journey. And he thinks so highly of him that Paul appoints Timothy as a leader of the church in Ephesus, likely during the fourth missionary journey. Paul's closeness to and admiration for Timothy are seen in Paul's naming him as a co-sender in six of the letters that he writes that are in the Old Te New Testament. However, this is not just a friendly note between dear friends. Paul has weighty things that he wants to discuss, and he sets the tone right from the beginning. Look at the opening to this letter. Paul, an apostle in Christ Jesus, by the will of God. This is a man who spent years with Timothy in traveling, in ministry, in, in starting up churches. And he feels the need to set forth his apostolic authority. Why? Because he wants Timothy to know that what he's about to talk about are serious matters. And he wants to review with him as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. 
Paul wants to establish in Timothy a faith and encourage him in the Lord. He wants to encourage Timothy and the churches that during this time of persecution under Nero were suffering great, uh, great harm and great tragedy. He provides Timothy with some instructions on being a leader in the church. So after the opening, Paul reminds Timothy in verses 3 through 5 that there is much to be thankful for in spite of the problems he was facing. He reminds Timothy of his godly heritage through his mother and his grandmother and of the faith God has given him, not only for his salvation, but also for daily living and Christian service. So now in verse 8 of 2 Timothy, he tells him not to be ashamed about our Lord or ashamed of Paul as a prisoner. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Note who Paul says he's a prisoner of here. He's in chains in a Roman dungeon cell. He doesn't say he's a Roman prisoner. He says he's God's prisoner. A prisoner for God's sake and purpose. Paul often refers to himself as such a prisoner. In Ephesians 3.1, he states, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Or in Philemon 1 and 9, he states that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And in Philippians 1.12-14, he notes that he has become, it has become clear that he is in chains for Christ. And that because of those chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Such phrasing of his condition shows that Paul truly believes what he said in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working good through Paul being a prisoner. Pastor Eric talked about this last week when he was talking about Paul and going to Spain about how his, his delay in being in prison gave him the opportunity to write several letters and for people to come uh, and visit him and, and be taught and, and encouraged. Despite his horrible situation, Paul knows that he is there for God. He is God's prisoner. Now, the second part of verse 8, uh, Paul invites Timothy to join with him in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, that sounds a little strange to join in the suffering but it is inevitable that in the cause of Christ, the cause for Christ, we as Christians will encounter, at some time or another, opposition and hostility from the world. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And when that happens... When we are persecuted, harassed, made fun of, ostracized, we may be tempted to distance ourselves from Christ and from the gospel that saved us. In John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus warns us not to be ashamed of him when the world turns its hate on us as believers. But it is in these situations of suffering, of hardships, that the power of God is made manifest. 
Paul explains this in more detail in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And, in, and he's asking the Lord to remove the thorn in his side. Remember, he's talking about this thorn that was placed in his side for part reason to keep him humble. And he asks the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will not boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul is suffering for the gospel, and he takes pleasure in that. He delights in the fact that he's suffering for the gospel. He then goes on in verses 8 and 9 of this letter to give a mini-summary of that gospel. It is God that saved us and has called us to a holy life. This salvation had nothing to do with anything we have done or earned or merited, but was purely because of God's own purpose. His grace and this precious grace was given to us through Jesus before the beginning of time. It has now been revealed through Jesus' incarnation, his death, and his resurrection as our Savior.
Call me out.